0: Hey, nasty women, it's Kate. This week, I want to share a special bonus episode with you from another great show called When to Jump. We thought our listeners would particularly enjoy this episode with Brenda Berkman, a badass who used her law degree to sue the city of New York for not allowing women to join the fire department and then went on to become the first woman firefighter in New York City. Keep listening for the full episode, and if you like it, search for When to Jump on any podcast app and subscribe.
1: I'm joined on the When to Jump podcast today by Brenda Berkman, who, in 1982, successfully sued the New York City Fire Department to let women in. And when the lawsuit went through, Brenda left her job as a lawyer to join the force. And it wasn't always so pretty. In fact, a lot of it was pretty tough, and Brenda shares a lot of those stories and her experience taking a jump, being a pioneer, and what that meant for her career and her life with me on the show today. So let's start early on. Tell us about growing up and what your childhood was like and and your earliest memories.
0: In the 1950s, there were very limited opportunities for girls and women in many areas of life. And so when I was in school, girls were not encouraged to go into math or the STEM as we call them now. Uh, There was no Title IX uh, to offer sports opportunities to girls. You know, we had sex-segregated, job-wanted ads. You know, there were men's jobs and there were women's jobs. And what was presented to girls at that point was, well, you know, girls can be secretaries, um, and we're not talking about secretary of state here, uh, (laughs) and nurses, teachers, but generally the lower grades. And housewives. So it was it was really a very limited sphere. But for me as a as a kid, teachers did not encourage girls in math. The girls were assumed to be better in English, so why don't you just, you know, work hard in your advanced English classes and leave the advanced math classes to the boys? And also there were no sports opportunities. Now I was a really avid baseball player as a little kid. And I was pretty good at it. You know, I was as good as the little boys that I played with. And so when I was 8 years old, I begged my mother to sign me up for Little League, even though we both knew, my mom and I, that that girls were not allowed into Little League. So she sent in my $5 registration (laughs) with the name B. Berkman. And uh, the coach called up my mom and said, this B. Berkman is a boy or a girl. My mom said, it's my daughter. And, oh, we're so sorry, but your daughter can't play little league and i was really disappointed i was shattered as little kids can be by by coming face to face with sexism i i thought that's really that's really nutty why would kids be prohibited from doing things that they're good at merely because they happen to be born a boy or a girl that kind of started me on my you know Opposition to irrational sex-based prohibitions, okay? <laughs> so, so, you know, I tried to do things like run for the president of the city council of the student council, and I got involved in politics at a very young age. I, I worked for political candidates. As, as a kid, I was handing out bumper stickers and flyers door-to-door and stuff that girls just weren't really encouraged to do. And then I went off to college. Now, there were no paid women firefighters in the United States until the mid-1970s. In fact, in departments all over the United States, paid departments, women were not even allowed to apply for the job. So that was the case in New York City. There were no women that were allowed to apply even apply to take the test to become a firefighter in New York until 1977.
1: So it wasn't even, you can apply and we may consider you, it was you can't even take a test to to even be considered. You can't
0: even try to become a New York City firefighter. And, you know, Billie Jean King has this really famous saying that says, you know, you have to see it to be it. So little girls did not see women riding around on the fire trucks. They did not see women police officers out on patrol. I had thought at one point I might go into the military, and then I found out basically you either had to be a nurse or a typist to be in the military because almost all the jobs in the military were closed to women. So I thought maybe I'll apply to a military academy to go to college. Wrong. <laughs> women <laughs> women weren't allowed to apply. My I had a male friend that applied Honestly, his grades, his academics were not nearly as strong as mine, and he got in, and I thought, well, crap, <laughs> you know? He gets a free college education, and I can't even apply to do this. By the time I had graduated college, I thought, I want to do something with my life that, it, that does something to make the United States more just. There were all these civil rights movements going on. First, the movement for racial justice that had started in the 1950s and then famously with Martin Luther King and others. All different kinds of people putting their bodies on the line for racial justice. Then there was the anti war movement. Then there was the women's, the second wave women's movement. And there was the very beginning of Stonewall and the LGBT rights movement. There was the disabled rights movement all this stuff was going on in 1960s and 1970s and having a big influence on me
1: it wasn't oh, you know, growing up, I'm going to be a firefighter. Oh, it was, no. I want to pursue justice for women and, and create equal opportunities.
0: But I also was looking at Billie Jean King and Rosie Casals and some other women tennis players trying to open up and make fair the uh, the tennis world. And I was a big tennis player. They were arguing against, uh, you know, inequality in pay and, uh, and awards and opportunities for women tennis players. So this was going on, and... I was still an athlete, even though I didn't have a lot of opportunities, certainly no opportunities for professional sports, and very few opportunities to play on teams. You know, I really still was interested in doing a job that not only was challenging to me intellectually, but challenging to me physically. And my parents had had brought me up to believe that, you know, you're not put on earth just to take up space. So you should be doing something that helps other people. I felt that I was very fortunate. I had the opportunity to go to college. I had grown up with good education, but not everybody had had that opportunity. So I wanted to, tr- to try and do something with my talents and abilities to help others as well.
1: And so that list of Lots potential of, opportunities, yeah. right, like you, you're going through it. So, yeah. so, so take us into that point where you're uh, in New York City, it's the 1970s, you're in college,
0: so in 1975, I moved to New York to go to okay. law school, and I was at NYU, which was you know, which is considered to be a pretty prestigious law school. And so I'm in law school. I'm thinking if if I can uh, become a lawyer, then I can help work towards social justice using my law degree. So I'm studying away. Not really enjoying law school all that much, <laughs> but I'm I'm enjoying some of the projects I'm working on and. While I was in law school I participated in some social justice projects and some union projects and some women's equality projects. I worked I volunteered for the first group that really was trying to define and make the public aware of sexual harassment. So I was all involved in that, and I was in my third year of law school, and I had a friend in law school who was a big fire buff. So he used to.
1: What is a fire buff?
0: A fire buff is, is one a who person knows fires. Who loves to. He had been a volunteer firefighter, but he still would go to fires in New York City, and he would tell me about them. Meanwhile, my. Wait, well,
1: you can go to fires just to. Well, you
0: can go look.
1: So he would yeah, just go no, and know, he look. was over respond- It's like a tornado chaser yes, kind of exactly. like you yeah, you You know, he there.
0: he wanted to see what was going on. Cool. Yeah. And so he would go and, and watch. And they'd come back and talk to me about it. And meanwhile, my late father in law was um, the lawyer for the firefighter, fire officers union here in New York. So I was meeting some fire officers. And boy, did they seem to love their jobs, and boy, did their jobs seem interesting to me? So my friends talking to me about this, the fire officers they're not really talking to me about it, but they're you know talking Brown. about how much they love their jobs and and some of my yeah. friends kind of knew that I was interested i had I had female police officer friends, but i didn 't think I really wanted to do that. I really wanted to become a firefighter started to enter my mind and suddenly 1977 my friend knocks on my door late at night my apartment door and says you know I just saw an ad they' they're, they're uh, allowing filing of for the firefighter exam don't you want to do that and I'm like yeah and so I barely made the filing cut off
1: you're still in law school still
0: in law school still have another uh, semester, I guess it was, to complete law school, suddenly I filed for the (laughs) fire exam. So I started training for the fire exam. Meanwhile, the fire department changes the fire exam to make it harder for women to pass. So I'm training away thinking, yeah, I can pass this. I was in fantastic shape, uh, physical shape at the time, but I didn't. Even though I had trained, I didn't pass the exam. I thought the exam was not job-related. None of the women, the 90 women who showed up to take the physical part of the exam, passed the exam. And I thought, really? There's not one woman in New York City that could be trained to be a firefighter? So I sued them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and what's, what's crazy up until this point, so it seems like it swirls up into this beautiful opportunity, and yet you get shut out.
0: Yeah, and then I get shut out again. And over the years, you know, people say to me, why did you quit Practicing law, because by the time I won my lawsuit, I was practicing law. Take a 50 percent salary cut to take a dangerous job where you're not wanted, because already I was experiencing a tremendous amount of harassment from people who were opposing women coming on as firefighters. And they particularly didn't like the fact that we were coming on because we'd won a sex discrimination lawsuit. And so when people used to ask me, why did you want to do that? Of course, I would cite that I wanted to have a, uh, a great job where I help people. But also, as I got older, I realized I just got tired of people saying to me, you can't do this because you're a girl. And a lot of people believed I was only bringing a lawsuit against the fire department because I was a bra-burning feminist, and therefore um, I didn't really want the job. So I had to testify under oath that I would take the job if I were offered it.
1: That's a huge commitment to make. I mean, there was a lot of people probably saying, geez, can you just shut up?
0: Right, Uh, including some relatives, you know. I mean, it wasn't that my mother said, you know, can you just shut up? She just thought it was a little crazy to go through all that education and take this job that paid a lot less and also was dangerous, and she realized that people were not happy about me. And I, I stopped talking to my mother about the harassment. I basically didn't talk to her about most of it. And I even stopped talking about a lot of it to my ex-husband because he would get upset about it. He was very supportive of me being in the fire department, and that was a tremendous help. You know, a lot of these things, you know, if you're listeners, one of the things I want to emphasize to them is that the person who decides to jump It really helps if you have some people supportive of you, especially in your close circle of friends and and family. I know women who became firefighters who found a lot of opposition at home, had a lot of opposition at home among their significant other or whoever, and it was more difficult for them. I at least had uh, a lot of support at home. Now, my late father-in-law was not supportive of me because he was blamed by some of the fire officers for my winning the lawsuit, even though he did not support it. he did not he was not involved in it. He got fired as their attorney, and that was a big family problem. But you know, I had this other support I had friends who showed up at the court hearings you know in support of me and i had support from other women's groups i had support from women police officers i had support from total strangers who would you know give me a thumbs up i also had people that came up to me on the subway and threatened me physically. I had death threats to my house. I had pornography sent to my house. I had, And then once I got on the job, lots of bad things happened. But to balance out all the bad stuff that was happening, I also had good things that was happening. And one thing that I learned from studying history through all those years in school <laughs> was that there were people, not just women, but lots of different people throughout history, that had suffered a lot to obtain the rights that I enjoy and everybody else in the United States enjoys today. And who was I to complain about the small stuff that was happening to me when I knew the people had been thrown in jail, they had been killed, they had been, you know, ostracized and ridiculed to make things possible for me to enjoy what the life that I was leading. So, you know, I knew I was standing on the shoulders of giants with my little thing that I was doing. And then I got on the job and I discovered I really loved the job.
1: You know, how did you decide this is still worth going for?
0: Well, one thing that I thought about is if I don't do this, namely bring the lawsuit and then take the job and form an organization to support other women firefighters and get involved in supporting women in non-traditional employment. If I don't do that kind of work, who's going to do it? You know, and I was was uniquely uh, advantaged to do some of this. One of the things I do wish that I had done early on in my career is take a public speaking (laughs) course (laughs) and take some courses on, you know, public relations and uh, sort of getting the message out there because we, uh, a lot of us, were really... Uh, afraid to uh, to talk a lot about all the great things that were happening as a result of women coming on as firefighters because we didn't want to make a public spectacle of ourselves we just wanted to do the job and so i didn't want to become a public figure i was forced to become a public figure if in fact i wanted you know what i was doing to succeed i i just feel that your you know your listeners should not be afraid of trying something new and doing something that other people might even ridicule. Because uh, if it is something that you feel passionate about, and not just for yourself, but for little girls and boys that come after you, you know, can you be a role model for them even for your own family, you know, for your own kids or brothers and sisters or school children that you have connections to or, what, or whoever, you know, your best friend down the street. If you go forward with what you're doing, maybe you can inspire other people to really do what they're passionate about. Maybe you'll succeed, maybe you won't, but maybe you will have moved the ball a little bit down the field. And that's a good thing you know because the arc of history should be toward social justice right now in this time and this place we may not feel like the arc of social justice is moving forward but it will i am a firm believer in that there will be setbacks there will be things that seem really hard there may be some difficult days and nights but if you take a kind of a, a long view Realize that it may be a marathon and not a sprint. I think that'll give you the strength and the courage to keep going. That, you know, sometimes life intervenes, but at least you you tried. And for that, you should give yourself some credit. I, I found something yesterday. I was looking through some old papers that I had worked on and uh, one of them was a life plan that I was supposed to have done for this course I was taking at the National Fire Academy. And, and you know, you would think a life plan, I'm a fire officer, it would be all about um, how am I going to get promoted, how could I become a chief of a sure. fire department somewhere. But in that life plan there was, I have this desire to do something creative, and maybe at some point in my life I'll do art. And sure enough, when I retired from the New York City Fire Department, I blew off all my training and experience again, (laughs) and I became an artist, which I knew nothing about. I hadn't taken an art class really since I was in junior high school, but I had this desire to do art. Art has become a passion for me, and I make time in my life to do art because it's a different side of my brain. So you can make many jumps in the course of your life you know it's, this is not a rehearsal you, know, you get this, this, this time yeah. you get this time and what you do with it is uh is meaningful or not and so are you going to choose to do something meaningful or are you going to just sort of like mark time until it's over
1: there's an author, Randy Comisar, talks about the deferred life plan. Like, well, let me do this later or once I retire. And you're right. This is the time we have. And those jumps can change, and you can have new jumps, whether it's into art or going into something else. Um, but you got to start small somewhere. Yes. Um, and I so think,
0: take a class? Yeah. Or volunteer? You know, I mean, there's lots of different ways to approach it. Just do informational interviews with people that... You, that are doing what you would like to do or could be, um, you know, I'm not saying that you, you're going out and doing a job interview or wasting their time, but, you know, that you can maybe get some advice from them on how to prepare for something that, that you really think you would enjoy doing. And I was looking all around me before I went into the fire service at women who were doing adventure. (laughs) By adventure, I don't mean climbing Mount Everest, or I mean they were doing something that broke down barriers for themselves and other women, and uh, as a result, their lives were, were expanded. I mean, I was so lucky, I feel, to have done what I did with the fire service, because actually being ostracized by my own department forced me to reach out to a much broader community. So I was looking at the fire service globally, and I met people from all over the world. And then I met women in other non-traditional occupations from all over the world. And you know, who gets to do that? It was just um, amazing. People from, that you would never expect have things to teach you. And so one of the things that, I, you know, I did this when I was younger. You get involved, you're very ambitious in your career. And so you only deal with and take courses and, and talk to people who are in those fields. But when I became a firefighter, you know, I was forced out into a wider universe. And that only advantaged me. Uh, because you start to think much more creatively and synergistically. And and um, you get excited by all different kinds of things. So you can tell I'm really excited now. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you meet these people, and they're not doing anything that you've ever thought about doing, and they, they live in an entirely different world, but it stimulates your thinking, you know? You're not just uh, sort of like okay, now I have to take this test to become a battalion chief, and now I have to. And maybe I should have done that. Maybe I should have just stayed as a, but as it turned out, you know, that firefighting was not the only thing I wanted to do with my life. And and so being able to, to sort of morph into a totally different person in some ways with different friends and uh now i go to art museums all the time i don't visit firehouses yeah, you know? exactly so it's it's um i would just say it opens you it opens you up as a person and you become more interesting person and you have more to give other people and uh and they see that in you
1: and i think that's a great way of th- of approaching a jump, you don't have to think what the ending is going to be, just what is that first thing you do? And it sounds like you said it could be as simple as having coffee with someone who does something that you're interested in.
0: And when I applied to be a White House fellow, I knew n- almost nothing about the program. And I had one week to do my application. This is something that, that people typically spend months uh, formulating, right? And they had never picked a firefighter to be a, a White House fellow. And then the fire department said, we're not going to support your application. You can't apply. And I said, well, there's nothing in the application that says I have to have your support, so I'm just going to apply anyway. And uh, I applied, and I got accepted. And so then it was like the fire department had to support me. You know? <laughs> You're Right. That just opened up a whole set of relationships and ideas and opportunities for thinking about things differently to, for me. It was another kind of like jump. Why would you? Why would you do this when you don't know really what you're doing? And well, why not? You know, there was no harm in applying. And uh, and so if I didn't get accepted, I would just do something. That would be else. that, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and going back to the point where in your first jump, you, you, you file a lawsuit. Five years later, you win, and now it's, it's time. You, mm-hmm. you actually jump. In your narrative and case study that you provided for the book, you, you're in this the, the, the theme of don't look back. You know, Once you jump, you don't think about regret or what could have been. And, and even if things don't go the way you plan, it's still important to push forward. It sounds like there was a lot of things that did not go to plan once you jumped and it wasn't all rosy. Can you describe that and why you still went forward?
0: No, it was very far from rosy from about the first 10 years. I mean, when I won my lawsuit, I wasn't the only woman hired. Uh, they uh the fire department uh had to redevelop and readminister a physical exam to all the women who had passed the written exam. So that was about 400 women. And of that group, about 60 people, I guess, may have taken the exam, women, and then about 40 of us went into the fire academy. So when I went into the fire academy, there there was about 40 of us together. But, you know, as a name class plaintiff, I was the uh, target of a lot of the abuse because I was the troublemaker who had started the wave of women coming into the fire department. And, oh, my God, we were going to be terrible for the fire department, for the city and all this stuff. Meanwhile, we didn't know what we were doing. We had nobody to advise us, really, except for some black firefighters who had gone through similar kinds of things. And this is, you know, the whole thing about intersectionality. I mean, there is a lot of opportunity for people to reach out to people different than themselves and ask for advice based on those people's experiences. So, we go into the fire academy, they immediately start harassing us and physically abusing us and firing people, firing women, um, they changed the, the training uh, in response to our coming in to, to make it much harder for women to graduate. I mean, it just went on. And uh, I was in the first group to graduate from the fire academy. A whole bunch of the women got held back and some got fired. Then we went out into the firehouse. The men refused to eat with me. They refused to speak with me. They refused to train with me. They messed with my protective gear, drained my air tank, you know. And again all this stuff around my home where they were following me around and sending me death threats and stuff like that so
1: death threats from from fellow firefighters
0: well one death threat that was left on my answering machine you could hear the the fire department dispatcher on the radio oh the fire gosh. department radio in the background which meant that it probably was made from a fire department phone sure. and some of them didn't hide it you know they, yeah, they would right come there. up to me at a fire department funeral. And say, I wish you had died instead what? of, yeah, I oh, know. And that happened to me actually on 9 11, a guy. No. Yeah. At a 9 oh 11 funeral, a guy came up to me, and this is now 2001.
1: Oh my yeah. That is really hard to believe. Yeah, and, and just so, terrible.
0: And he didn't know me. I had no idea who this guy was. Yeah, well. You know, so how do you say something hateful to somebody that you don't even know? Because I stood for something that that he feared. Sometimes people who jump are going to find that they are the target of abuse and opposition merely because of what they represent. And this was a very hard lesson for me. And I don't know that I've completely taken this on is that it has nothing to do with you personally. These people don't even know you. They just hate what you stand for. I'm in a job that is life-threatening to begin with, and now I have some people, not all the men, but some men who were opposed to any of us coming on. You know, they did all kinds of things to try and make us quit and try and harm us. And, and uh, you know, there were demonstrations by firefighter wives and family against women coming in the firehouse. And, <laughs> You know, it was nutty. And it was really nutty. And and some of the stuff still goes on, you know, and,
1: so. And during those times, which if if you're like me, you're thinking, geez, how do you even wake up in the morning? How did you wake up in the morning and keep going?
0: I had several really low points uh, where one time I got fired <laughs> for no reason. And so I, you know, had to fight that and got back on the job. You know, there were other times where things were going really, really badly when I got sexually assaulted by, you know, by a fire department employee. And and then nine eleven was tremendously traumatic for the whole department, but I think especially for a lot of uh, women firefighters. But, you know, when I would go, when I would get really low, first of all, I had a support network.
1: Yep. You mentioned that being so right? important. And
0: secondly, I looked... But I tried to take the long view, you know this is this two this will pass, yep. and if I quit, then really they've won the hateful misogynist, Neanderthal, uh, what other adjectives <laughs> can I use? The people want to take us back to a time that was never good for women and people of color and LGBT community and you know diverse people it was never good for those people and why do we want to go back to that point we don't really it's not good for anyone what I learned also was what I did by bringing women in I helped the men in the fire service wow. because they're as harmed and trapped by the stereotypes about what a firefighter has to be which is so tied into masculinity and their male identity that that they're in this cookie cutter box and when we have that happen when people are stereotyped and they feel they have to adhere to some kind of mythological creation of a role you know people are very different they need to be able to express that and to bring their best selves to any job, any, uh, any uh, activity. Not try and be something that they're not. For the guys, you know, to have to act a certain way, that, that didn't allow them to be the way sure. that they really needed to be. And it didn't allow us to serve our communities, our very diverse communities that we have, especially in urban areas where there's people from all over the world and they have all these different needs, you know? Things happen, you know? What do you do when you go to a Hindu household? Or what do you do when this is a very, very poor urban community that you did not grow up up in? How do you relate to those people if everyone around you looks and sounds and has exactly the same life experience as you do? So by opening up the fire department, not only me but all the different people who try to make the fire service, you know, less of a box, that that only benefits everybody. And if you take that long view that it's not about me and just about me and my career and my happiness and my jump, but it's also about what example does this provide to other people who are looking for role models. Uh, if you are able to make any kind of positive change, to help other people and to make opportunities available for other people, to provide an example, a role model for other people by taking your jump, then um, no matter what happens after that, you know you you you've done something, and you've done something hopefully to be proud of that. That uh, this is how you spent your time on Earth. You know, this is, uh, you didn't just take up space.
1: When you went for it, I don't think there are probably many times, I mean, maybe in times of, geez, this is not great, but in the long view, you never said, I should have just stuck with law.
0: I think my law background helped me um, with my fire service career. I actually spent more time in a courtroom as a firefighter than I spent as a lawyer. <laughs> Uh, but
1: you don't wish you st- no never tried. I didn't want
0: to be there yeah. I didn't want to be there but I was able to talk to the lawyers about what was going on and help them craft a strategy to you know address these problems yep. that we were encountering now I know uh, I learned in law school and I learned in in pursuing this lawsuit that you know, law is a very imperfect tool for achieving social change. And it can take a really, really long time to make even small steps in the law because it's essentially a very conservative profession. And I'm sure the judge who was, um, you know, who was in my case, had no idea about all the uh, things that were going to happen to him because he was attacked and uh, ridiculed and uh, demonstrated against and harassed by reason of his decision in my case. I think one thing, though, that you really have to think about when you make a jump is how is it going to affect the people around you.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Um, And a lot of those people that were affected by what I did did not plan on the negative effects in their own lives they didn't have a dog in this show (laughs) you know or pony or whatever they this was not their cause but they they supported me and they put up with it so whether it was male firefighters who were my friends and then were harassed as a result of that or the judge who was harassed or you know my father-in-law being fired from his uh his work for the fire officers union Bad things happened to other people as a result of what I was doing. But I think also many, if not most of those people, and I've had my lawyers say this to me on several occasions, representing you in that case was the most important legal work that I did in my career. Wow! So, you know, and I know this judge and his family because his family asked me to speak at his memorial service. Oh, my gosh. So he followed my career, even though he did not, you know, come to, you know, we weren't in close personal touch or anything. When I got promoted, he would send me a congratulations (laughs) note. (laughs) So you know that people, even people that you don't think are going to be invested in your jump uh, can feel that it, it was it was valuable and important to support you and in, in the work that you did
1: well there's a book that i don't know if you've read but i read recently called the power of one and it talks about how important it is to have just one example and i think that your story certainly shows what that did for for future firefighters men women people of color of all different walks of life
0: yeah we see this all the time uh, especially in you know uh the media uh, when you look at something like uh, hidden figures Mm -hmm. and how that movie has resonated so much not just with african-american people not just with women but with people of all from all different communities who feel that you know those examples show me that i could you know i could push past yeah. the barriers that seem so daunting and and yet look what these women did you know and so it it's really um i think it's i think it's great to put inspiring stories out there well thank you for being one of them oh, thanks for having me talk
1: another big thanks to brenda berkman for joining me on the when to jump podcast if you'd like to get more involved with the When to Jump community, you can check us out at whentojump.com, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, all that social stuff. The handle is at When to Jump. And as you know, we like to share jumps from our listeners, and so let's listen to one now.
2: My name is Steve Fox, and my jump happened in 2012 when I decided to leave my job as a tech journalist to create an indoor miniature golf course, restaurant, and bar in San Francisco. I had been an editor and writer for 35 years, both in New York and San Francisco, and I was watching the publishing industry collapse as it devolved into something I no longer had a passion for. I was feeling desperate, but it felt like being an editor was the only thing I truly knew how to do. Well. Almost the only thing. My wife and I had been hosting bring-your-own-whole miniature golf parties at our house since the early 90s, and we saw how much people loved them. So, even though we could find no examples of a similar business in a city, and I had no experience in food service, operating a bar, or obviously running a miniature golf course, I made the jump. I wrote a business plan, found a location, refinanced my home to get the project going, raised a pile of money, hired a staff, and rolled the dice. And today, five years after my fateful decision, Urban Putt is thriving, routinely drawing throngs of locals and out-of-towners seven nights a week.
1: If you have a jump to share, please feel free to record a quick audio note and send it to, when to jump Podcast at macmillan.com. That's when to jump Podcast two Ps, at macmillan.com. I'm Mike Lewis, and I'll see you next week.